Hello and welcome to the Limited Bandwidth Podcast. We are your hosts Leo and David, otherwise known as the folk duo The Last Inklings. Now social media is here to stay whether we like it or not and it's become an essential part of an artist's toolkit for connecting with our audiences. Um, and we're on a journey to discover how we can make it work for us whilst making sure that we keep space to be creative at the same time. Now, in this second phase of the podcast, we're meeting specialists from a variety of fields. In episode three, we spoke to Dr. Sarah Hodge. She's a cyber psychologist from Bournemouth University. And in our fourth episode, we met Misha Weston-Green, who's a marketing expert, who helped us think critically about the way we handle our marketing online as artists. Yeah, and, and part of the series, uh, we've been keen to explore ways to improve our relationship with social media and technology as artists who are regularly using these platforms, both for work and entertainment as well. And a big part of that conversation has to include mental health. So thinking about ways to monitor our well-being and also address uh, digital burnout if this arises. So to help us on this part of the journey, we're pleased to welcome Nicola Neath, who is a registered counsellor and psychotherapist, as well as an experienced staff counsellor at the University of Leeds. Thanks for joining oh, us, Nicola. Hi. Thank you. <laughs> so just to get people started, could you tell us a little bit about your background? And also, if you can kind of weave in what led you to become conscious of kind of digital burnout as a, as a problem in the modern age? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm a workplace counsellor and a psychotherapist. Uh, I've been working for about 20 years. Um, and as you might imagine, most of my practice has been face to face up until uh, recent humongous changes across um, the world. <clears throat> so my specialism is in uh, workplace mental health. Um, and uh, I, along with a lot of other colleagues, are, are basically keen to bring ideas out from psychotherapy into people's lives in practical ways. That sometimes it can feel a bit mysterious, this whole business of counselling behind doors and people don't know what it's all about. And I guess we're really keen to help people access uh, not only the process of therapy, but uh, some of the ideas about human behavior, human development, attachment, what keeps us well and what uh, maybe doesn't keep us so well, uh, and to help people make decisions where they can and get their agency back for themselves. Yes. Um, yes. The reason I... Yeah, okay, you recognize that. <laughs> it's a lifelong journey for everyone, therapists yeah. included, right? So, um, and whilst aware of, of course, uh, so the university as a workplace, as you might imagine, that there would be uh, a part of work that, that was online prior to uh, the pandemic. And mm. as, as practitioners, we may well have been talking to people over the phone, not so much working online, although some of our colleagues had started to do it a little bit because some academics or staff might be in different countries or on different uh, timelines. So that world had started to begin and uh, a university of that size, it's quite a big university's leads. It also has students in different countries. So some teaching had started to happen online. So we were moving towards thinking about uh, the way technology supported our work. And of course, then a pandemic happened <laughs> and everybody was sent home. Of course. <clears throat> so that, that propelled us into this changed uh, environment. Mm. And um, 
And what I, I describe now, and so more and more other people, people are saying, is we, we were accelerated into the fourth industrial revolution. So it was coming. We had all sorts of things, online technology, social media, more and more activities being streamed through the internet, more meeting places, ways for people to play, uh, as well as be creative online. Um, so we, but we were propelled into it as that that was the only way, essentially, to communicate, with the exception of people in your house, in your household, or people who you might speak to on the phone. And I suppose what I was aware of is not only the impact that this change had upon me as a therapist, but also on the people that um, I was working with. So my first awareness of uh, <clears throat> the change to me is just how exhausting those internet interactions were, whether it was Teams, mm. Zoom, or whatever platform we had. Yeah. And so I suppose what happens for crazy people like me uh, is that when something feels different, I want to understand why. Because then if I can understand why I can do something to kind of put myself in the best health to support other people, because if I'm not okay, I can't do my job so well. But also then I can share those insights with the very people who might need uh, to understand a little bit more about what was happening to them. So that took me to, to find out uh, a bit more about this whole kind of digital, the idea of digital burnout um, and actually... What is it about working online or having an online presence that maybe has a negative uh, impact upon us? Although, of course, it's also a really positive thing too. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. There's definitely that balance, uh, which is sometimes a juxtaposition at the same time. Um, I think it's it's quite common for people to experience both sides at the same time, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was such a positive tool for us because we could still reach people creatively and we could still work, essentially, but it started to blur a lot of lines for us between what was work, yeah. what was social, and the amount of time, as you said, suddenly we were all spending so much time using it. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's so much to dig into here. Um, so we're, we're going to try and be a bit structured, and we'd like to to try and look at uh, the episode in sort of two halves um, oh. and start by exploring the potential impacts of technology and social media use uh, before we move on to, to some of the things that we can use to manage our, and balance our lives better. Um, so if we start with something that's probably quite familiar to a lot of people and a term that I absolutely love <laughs> is, uh, is this idea of doom scrolling or infinite oh. scrolling on your phone where you've got infinite feeds and you, you end, end up wasting quite a lot of time on them. Um, what sort of impact is, is that likely to have on our, our mental well-being? Oh. Great question. Um, so I think that the idea of doom scrolling or looking for news first really came online, first really came uh, about actually through Brexit, as Brexit started to happen in the UK. Oh, right. Because a lot of people who weren't for it, and yeah. of course not, that's not everybody, actually wanted to try and keep up to date with the, the progression of what was happening and trying to make sense of it as well for themselves. Yeah, yeah. So essentially, it's in our nature that when we feel anxious, we want to find cause. Uh, unfortunately, as human beings, we're not very good at sitting with anxiety because actually something maybe is unpleasant. We don't really believe it, so we look for something else that makes sense. And that, if you like, is the underpinning of doom scrolling. 
So when we're not okay, we want to validate that feeling of not okayness. Right. Now, the, the problem is that when we do that, we find more not okay stuff. <laughs> so, in fact, we go from an anxious place mm. to becoming more vigilant and more anxious and more worried. It's almost like going out and collecting the worst kinds of butterflies in your net, if you like. Oh, yeah. it, it fulfills something. So, in, in, there's, in a way, there's an, a reassurance. It's like, oh, I feel bad because there's all this bad stuff, but mm. the exposure isn't good. It's almost like... You know, if you went to a movie and, you know, it's a horror movie, you expect to be scared, but you wouldn't start running around the cinema jumping <laughs> into all the horror movies that are there. That's overwhelm. That's a great analogy. So this, yeah, <laughs> I, I do like horror movies for that reason. <laughs> well, there you go. So there's something, isn't there, about... it's in our, we, we like to, have to be animated and we like to know. And with Brexit, just as with uh, the pandemic we were faced with uncertainty. And although uncertainty is a factor of being a human being, we look for absolutes wherever we can. So the doom scrolling, not only is it finding that information out that kind of gives us cause, we, we know that human beings habituate to something that involves a hand and your eye really quickly. Mm. As musicians, you'll know that as well. <laughs> yes, it's all absolutely. about practice. Yes. But it becomes a reflex. So the whole business of using your thumb and scrolling through stuff becomes too easy a, a reflex to replicate. Mm. And it's kind of addictive because no one image or bad story satisfies that sense of needing to know. And when the window is on the world that's as big as it is, of course, there's no knowing it all. Mm. So we spiral. Yeah, it, it makes it difficult for, for us as humans, but it's it's great for the advertisers, I think, isn't it? On <laughs> yeah, these that's the thing. It'll it's keep a gift. <laughs> I mean, we, we've so often found... Uh, I was watching some documentary that was about kind of uh, modular synths in the 90s, but someone said that working online, having uh, lots of music tech on your laptop was mm. a big problem because it meant the distraction was always present to suddenly yeah. uh, peel off to one side and start doing this, just start looking through news or waiting for the next message to come through. It also gives you infinite choice, which, yeah. which oh. is quite a bad thing <laughs> yes. if you want to be creative. <laughs> it so, is. Too of, many rabbit holes. Yes. I mean, another fragment of, of being online all the time and just trawling through all these different feeds, and for us, using social media a lot for marketing purposes, we're exposed to a lot of this, is this idea of perhaps the lack of transparency or truth online. And we're often seeing curated images, whether they've been auto-tuned, as people say, or even how people present their lifestyles. This is a big thing for us. Mm. Uh, we don't know how truthful to be about how much of an impact it has on us that maybe we can't sell tickets for a certain show and there's reasons behind that. Do we explain that? Do we, tr do we try to sell the escapism? Are we doing the wrong thing by giving people a glossy version of our lives? But, I mean, in your experience, is there quite a lot of fallout from seeing these slightly... Uh, false versions of reality from everyone else online. Absolutely, there is. And, and so human beings, we're, we're social, aren't we? And the only way we can map ourselves really is in comparison to others. Mm. And you would hope for a person to, to be okay. They need to have a good, secure sense of themselves. But when we're faced with so much change, which is always the case, but this particular kind of change, we look for... Uh, things that we can relate to. We look for examples of ourselves that make sense, that we resonate 
uh, with. And it's, I suppose, if you like, if you think of the social media uh, images, very similar to maybe stuff that might have been in NME or particular uh, magazines aimed at certain groups of people, they represent, they've always had imagery in there that is suggestive of the this is the way you should be. Mm, Of course, the minute that (laughs) culture starts to grow, it excludes the vast majority of us because nobody looks quite like that. So there's something about how both... And it doesn't mean we shouldn't aspire to create great images or smooth the edges if we can in a picture or a portrait. Why Mm, not? But there's something about the person who's looking at the images knowing that it's it's not a truth they're seeing it's a representation of something else and that's like this actual activity so i, I mean i obviously you, you we can all see each other at the moment but actually we can't what i can see is digital approximations of you what i can hear is digital approximations of your voice and vice versa but because they're so close we think they're 100% real and that drops our defenses a little bit so rather than seeing it as a construct we think it's real and then we want to be like that or we think we should be like that as well Uh, so it's really hard not to try and it's really hard not to compare myself to it (laughs) I mean um kind of digging a bit further into some of this uh, one of the things because we've just mentioned doom scrolling uh, we were talking to dr sarah about was this idea of lost time and ended up in flow states mm-hmm. where you can't quite navigate or, or realize self-regulate even how much time you're spending doing this kind of activity just mm-hmm. endlessly trawling through these different social media apps and is that again is that something that you've come across kind of working with people Absolutely. And and actually, there's a similar comparison, I think, to people playing games, uh, whether it be through, you know, PS2 or, or, some, or PS2, that's ages ago. But you know what I'm, I'm sort of saying, how time disappears when you're playing a game, yeah. time disappears yeah. when you read a book, time disappears when you're being creative and making some music. So sometimes we're engaged in certain activities, we lose a sense of tracking time. So there's a bit of the uh, internet or uh, social media activity that's also a diversion from other things that's Mm. pleasurable. Again, because the hand-eye thing, we actually get a little bit of a release of dopamine, I think is the chemical. And actually the games industry is based on it. The reason you break through a level is to give you a chemical high so you go for the next level. So everything online has similar aspects to it. So when you flick through to a different image, it feels good momentarily. So that kind of becomes a bit uh, addictive and anything addictive or pleasurable, again, time goes out the window. But I guess the problem is that then the time spent maybe is not healthy time Mm. and it makes me feel more tired and the, the actual light that you get from your devices is a threat stimulus. And when we sit and stare at something, that evokes our biological fear response because normally you only sit and stare at something that you're frightened of because you're basically becoming aware. You know, if we were out and about and something makes a noise from the bushes, my eyes will be on that point and I will be entirely focused on that. It's my nature. Yes, yeah. So working online or sitting and looking at my device replicates that, which means I start to produce adrenaline. 
So that's that's an instinctive uh, response to, absolute, to something that's, that's a very new stimulus, really. Yes. Yeah, I mean, yes. we were talking about this earlier, this idea that actually all of this has evolved much faster than us. Yeah. So we've not really <laughs> yes. evolved to keep up with it just yet. Yeah. But I mean, even yeah. looking back at that that dopamine type issue, thinking of um, maybe saying it's, it's a little bit like an addiction-like behaviour. Uh, yeah because we were speaking to a musician in our first episode who says he feels like he's been trained somehow. Even when he's Absolutely. deleted apps from his phone, he's got this reflex. He wants to reach into his pocket and check up on everything. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. funny how e- even being aware of these leverage mechanisms that, that social media platforms and, and online platforms are using, um, like being aware of it doesn't exclude you from it. Like I, no. I still fall into the traps, even though I know exactly what they are. Um, and that that's quite a powerful thing um, because you can't escape it. Um, and it, it kind of feeds into that, that idea of the fear of missing out as uh, well. Yes, yeah. The, uh, the yeah. what do they call it, FOMO. FOMO. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is that something, um, again, we've come across this quite a lot. A lot of musicians either fear they're going to miss out because they've not been sharing things online. People will forget that they exist. Mm. And then you also have yeah. that little thing like, if I've not got my finger on the pulse of what's happening in the rest of the industry, am I going to get it right when I need to go out there and do something? Yeah. But is that quite a common one? It is. And and again, with the internet being as vast as it is, of course, the reality is you can't keep in touch with everything. So there's something, isn't there, about how we try and work to reduce the the stress stimulus to know it all and be in touch all the time because that's not realistic. Um, but to know that actually breaking the behavior, so, so uh, David, when you're saying about the, the kind of um, habitual thing, getting into the behavior is, is, is human beings are habitual creatures. Yeah, yeah. We, we learn things by repetition. I look right and left when I cross the road because that's what I was taught to do as a kid and it keeps me alive. There's all sorts of things that are great that I do that are rote, that are just physical responses. So the internet use, social media stuff has become a physical response. It's been a replicated behavior. Okay. So to change the behavior, you have to have a new behavior <laughs> in, and then you have to repeat the new behavior. And it can be painful to do because the urge, you know, somebody said, oh, you need to look up and down before you cross the road. It would take me a long time to get into that habit. Absolutely. It wouldn't yeah. feel right for it. It's that mechanism. It's the biopsychosocial system that you have to work with. Mm, yeah. I, I wonder if that feeds into um, to, to using a mechanism like CBT therapy to sort of try and reprogram yourself in, in terms of trying to change your usage habits. Yeah. Is, is that a, a method that, that would be viable? For some people. So for people who like to follow instructions and to have a sense of progression, that'll be really great for, for them. I think I'll sign um, up for that I, one then. That's definitely <laughs> describing me. <laughs> so the, the, but the thing is that, so cognitive behavioural, so it's getting underneath what your thinking process is, mm. is looking at the bits of behaviour that reinforces that thinking and then trying to make adjustments. So So for some people, they'll start with their mind and they'll be able to change their psychological approach to something. So do I need to be online all the time? No. Right. How do I keep telling myself I need to be online all the time? So it's, you have to replace them with okay messages. It's okay to have downtime. 
it's okay for me to catch up when I, mm. I you know, I, I, I get back online or whatever. How do I re- replicate that behavior? Well, I do something different with the devices. I switch them off. I put them out of reach. I set screen times or whatever it is so that I can tell myself what I'm doing with the thing. Yeah. So you want your mind and your actions and your feelings to chime with something different. And and everyone's different. So some people would like to do it thoughts first. Some people will need to do it behavior first. Mm-hmm. Other people also, there's, there's the dealing with the emotional stuff. If I'm a bit anxious or if I'm not kind of feeling confident in this moment or time, I actually need to get some support with my anxiety or get some support with my confidence. If I feel okay, I won't replicate the behavior that's not so okay. So the emotional side of it is really important too. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know it's it can it's really subjective because it's going to vary between people. I mean, even um, Sarah gave us an example going back to like gaming. Uh, people who are professional online gamers, uh, they're not feeling the same fatigue if they hop offline to game and then come and like check some social apps. It's a different space for them. Mm. So despite yeah. it being a lot of screen time, a lot of overuse, it's it's very different. But yeah, in your experience, is there any kind of baseline point where you would say actually? this is verging on too much? Well, I think for, for people, and, you know, you know, we've got owls and larks, haven't we? So we have some folk that have more vitality and energy into the evening. But it's thinking about how's it impacting on your sleep? How's it impacting upon your eating? How's it impacting upon your interactions with people, friends, family, and other ways? That if it's starting to have an impact on those things that's negative then that probably suggests that's too much for you. And so that would be, and you're looking for warning signs. So even like the, like you said, sort of feeling a bit obsessive about wanting to check, that's an alert. Or using it as your go-to, if you wake up in the middle of the night, you go to your phone. Mm, Well, if you're going to your phone to listen to some music or listen to a book, maybe that's okay, or a mindful practice, that's all right. But if you started to check all the scary stuff out (laughs) in the world, that's probably not going to help you go back to sleep. Mm. And remember this kind of light thing as well. So so, so trying to think about, is it impacting on the way I want to live my life or any other health kind of thing going on for you? Yeah, I wonder if... um something that we've seen in sort of mainstream media quite a lot um, and is becoming more more frequent as well is whether there's truth in the this concept that um, people can be addicted to a certain app or um, or just using their smartphone um, for for things that they don't perhaps don't need to um, oh. or whether that's uh, that's just something like a a modern myth <laughs> I'm not sure I can't get my head around no, it no I think I think it's right and addiction again is interesting what is addiction it's something we mm. like to do over and over again and we habituate to and we feel anxious when uh, we can't do that thing so there's something about the habit part of it but also with phones, what's interesting is that they've become an object of attachment. Mm. So a bit like when we were all kids, we had a bear or a thing that we used to carry around with us that we used to feel comforted by and comforted with. 
the phone has that part too, and it sits very comfortably in our hands. And of course, it represents all sorts of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It represents connection. It might represent love. It might represent music, whatever. So actually, there's an emotional uh, connection, a relational connection with the device. And <clears throat> you can kind of tell that when you can't find your phone, right? And just how quickly <laughs> that might start to feel scary. So the the kind of the, the notion of getting addicted to a particular app is about that the habit or addicted to actually having your device is because of the amount of yourself that you've invested in the thing. Mm, yeah, it's it's funny funny that that, that comes up because I've I've had a, the same dream a couple of times where I throw my phone away <laughs> into the sea or something, and yeah, I, I woke up thinking, oh that. That definitely means something. <laughs> Deeply satisfying, I'm imagining. I mean, <laughs> Good it, for it, you. Well, you're quite... telling yourself something. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Well, because so often... What's interesting about the sea as well is it's likely to bring it back at some point. Oh, oh no, don't well, say that. Yeah. <laughs> the tide's coming in. Because, I mean, as well as our own use, there's this this whole thing about when we're online we're, we're connected and we're self-employed musicians so mm. uh, we have to be switched on to a degree and it's it's feeling that you can never quite power down just in case you miss an opportunity and obviously mm. your phone mm. uh, you know a facebook notification is just constantly there tapping on you and it is mm. strange it's like when you never get to reset you never quite get to reload you know recharge the battery and pump mm. up the bandwidth so you've got a bit more space for everything else again um yeah i know a lot of people a lot of our peers um, struggle with the same thing in in kind of identifying what would be a a healthy baseline for them to to you know allocate a certain number of hours a week for for doing something. I, I was wondering if there are any any tips that you might have on on finding what your personal baseline is or, or whether you've exceeded it. Yeah. So so then you're kind of starting to think a little bit there, aren't you, like the notion of digital hygiene. Mm. So I think it takes a different sort of a, approach to it. And the notion of digital hygiene actually came from uh, some researchers from India, and they were also talking about uh, digital resilience. The terms were around from the late 1990s, but obviously they've become really relevant now. Okay. I think it's about, again, it's about the, 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 the structure of the time. So being really clear with yourself when it's work or creativity or to do with the band or to do with your music and yeah. when it's pleasure. Yeah. And to see it a bit like, you know, we might have to be in a certain frame of mind to do our accounts, right? You know, it's a bit of a task, <laughs> but you have to focus on it as that task to see your digital activity as a part of your creative task and contain it into the, the, the time that you think is right to allocate it as best that you uh, can. So, it, and then the, then to make the, the separation that this isn't fun and um, that, well, it might be fun, actually, it doesn't have to not be fun, <laughs> but that pleasure and social connecting with the people who you love is occupies a different space and sometimes we can use our bodies. So um, being in a different room to do the work, social media, mm. so the room that you do, the personal stuff mm -hmm. can be really important because you're, what you're doing is you're locating the work activity in a workspace. Now, of course, with working from home or whatever, that's made it really difficult for people. But we really encourage folks to be clear about where their work area is 
and really not work on your phone in bed or in the lounge because actually those are areas to power down and to relax. Mm, So really thinking about actually what you're saying to yourself when you engage in these activities. Hours, I guess that depends on what you need to do. So I guess if you're launching, you know, a new album or new song, then I would imagine as marketing, the time investment, as essential as it is, is increased. But then seeing that taper off and perhaps getting into um, a way of of checking in with yourselves that how much being aware of what's going on feels good mm-hmm. so that you can, so each artist can gauge it for themselves, but making sure that there's time away from it. But I think that the work pleasure separation is absolutely crucial yeah that idea of digital hygiene i very briefly come across as a kind of keyword to look further into but that does sound like you know that's a very practical thing that you can apply uh when you're working in these kind of ways amazing yeah yeah on our podcast page uh we've got a space to add some resources and links so what we'll probably do is find out a couple of things that we can uh offer people up if they land on our website um but let's say we're moving on from that a little bit and if we're talking about some of our colleagues and even us at certain points We've definitely found that we've recognised what probably are the symptoms of, you know, some sort of burnout or just fatigue at the very least, digital mm. fatigue. If we find ourselves getting to that point, what's a, a kind of a first practical step to start to change that mindset and escape from that? Mm. Great question. So I guess the the catch, everything's in the catch, isn't it? Is noticing it as soon as possible. <clears throat> and this might sound silly, but I guess one of the first things to do is to get away from the thing that's causing you the distress or burnout or exhaustion. Mm. So like we sort of said earlier, one of the things that happens when we sit staring at our phone or staring at our computers is we go very still, our world closes down. So anything that you can do to change your environment and come back to all of your other senses. Yeah. So even to go into a different room and to sit and look at look at something different, preferably further away, because the other thing about the device is it shortens um, our perspective, which is really bad for our eyes, actually. So to look further away is really good for our eyes in terms of exercise, but it changes our perspective. To tune into something that you can hear, to think about what you can uh, smell, to become aware of sounds around you in a different way. So so kind of thinking about... um, you know, that the environment that you're in and, mm. and, and expanding that environment, obviously, yeah. and anything like going for a walk, exercise is also great because not only is exercise good for us, but it utilizes the adrenaline that we might build up through looking at stuff that's making us feel a bit anxious. So if you can put that adrenaline into use, get into your body a bit more, again, it helps us process what's been happening, <clears throat> use that adrenaline and shift our perspective. That does make sense. I mean, we, we'd read a bit of research about that, like being in open spaces with big open horizons is doing exactly the opposite of what you said about focusing on one single point, And that's that kind of fear response. Yeah. Open horizon, nice and relaxed. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I, I think I've experienced that in my own uh, like technology usage of working on a laptop and then maybe during your lunch break you you watch the news on tv and it's not enough of a sensory change you need to go out for a walk in your lunch break or something and then you know that's that's more of a refresh reset 
um, for your yeah. senses, and then you can come back um, and, yeah. and work the rest of the afternoon without feeling that that fatigue. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's that is definitely good advice, I think. I mean, because we were reading about that in relationship to memory as musicians, um, and the way that as you were saying, you kind of close down and you're using a single thing like scrolling with your thumb on a screen mm. and you're lacking all of that other kind of ways of processing what's happening. Yeah. So you're not writing memory that's using all your different senses. And um, apparently that effect can can stay with you for hours afterwards. So if we suddenly <laughs> barrel into a rehearsal, it's not necessarily going to be the most effective thing Yeah. without a Absolutely bit of reset not. time. Yeah. Absolutely. And that reset time is so important because... We're not, and we're evolving, you know, this, all this change is happening to us, but we're not at this moment designed to have split attention. So we can do lots of things without single focus, but we can only do one thing with uh, single focus. So it's taking time to make a move from one activity to another to reset our bodies and to refocus really important for being creative as well because if we're over stimulated the vagal nerve which controls all of that actually deactivates the prefrontal cortex and the um hippocampus i think it's hippocampus might be a different part of the brain but i can't remember that's funny isn't it but actually <laughs> memory is laid down memory and competence is the interaction between those two parts of the brain. Mm. If we're fearful, if we're in a state of being frightened, alarmed, or over-animated, then our, we don't function in that way. So, so our, our ability to remember just things that we know goes, and our ability to put things into our memory goes. Mm. Memory is a really physical act. It's not just our minds, it's our bodies, and it's our eyes moving around a lot. So in a way, we're kind of limiting our ability to remember good stuff and be creative. And fear always interferes with those processes, without a doubt. Ah, okay. Yeah, that's so this, interesting. Yes, yeah, so this is kind of linking in with just generally being overstimulated and needing something to, yeah. to bring it back to a level place. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of noise online, which is not particularly helpful and you feel yourself sort of drowning in sometimes if if you are rabbit holing through videos or through social media. Um, Some of it for me is just that visual sensory thing. Obviously, mm. things are made to be attractive and nice to look at online, but that can mean bright colours to draw your attention or just the yeah. contrast of being looking at a screen whilst the rest of your surroundings don't have that same vibrancy. Um, it's yeah. quite a strange way to look at things. And it does create a lot of visual noise. Yeah. yeah. And you, you mentioned... Um, the term attention span um, a few minutes ago. And I was wondering if you you see sort of the future of, of technology use and, and any trends, like the, the trend so far has been that the attention span is shortening in terms of the content that people are consuming. So it used to be like when YouTube first came out, people were happy to sit for a while and watch a video on YouTube. But it's got to the point now with with like TikTok or something where things are very limited, like 10, 15 seconds. Um, I wonder where that's going to stop or if it's going to bounce back the other way. I don't know. Yeah. Are we pushing that or do you think we're being trained by these algorithms to <laughs> to both. want this content faster and faster? Yeah, I think it's both. And and mm. that's the, that's the really in, interesting evolutionary boundary that we're on. But it's all it's it's the evolutionary boundary that we've gone through several times. So mm. 
when trains first came about and people were trying to navigate their way into using trains, people were terrified by the speed and said that they would be terrible for us and <laughs> what was going to happen. Yeah. TVs then afterwards, sort of the other bits of, of technological change. So we have a sense of it being faster mm. and that we can't cope. But actually, we, we will make those adjustments. But what's I suppose what will be interesting to see is hopefully quality will start to replace quantity and mm. maybe us as the users and the observers might start to demand different levels of content, which will be great. And, and I guess as musicians, that will also be really important for you that you have the right environment to not only represent yourselves, but to find the people who will want to join you in the work that you do as well. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, this kind of saturation question uh, comes about not just from our, you know, our limited bandwidth, as the title of the podcast says, to to <laughs> cope with it, but it's also there's only yeah. so much uh, space out there in this saturated market for us to do what we do as well, especially when it feels sometimes there's a lot of throwaway content out there. Yeah. Um, and the limited bandwidth bit is really interesting. So, like my uh, my boss, Dr. Sally Rose, has a model which is all about workable ranges and is about bandwidth. And it's about the idea that we have a green zone in the middle that's flexing all the part time. It depends how how well I feel, how well I've slept, how creative I might feel. And outside mm. of that, below it is blue. That's when I feel hypo above is when I feel like agitated and okay. hyper yeah. and that's changing but it's different for all of us so kind of thinking also about people who are neuro different as well their their uh, need for the stimulus is greater or the need to reduce the stimulus is greater as well so it's kind of making sense of what's your bandwidth and getting to know what okay looks like for mm, you yeah that's what matters yeah i think that's that's part of identifying and and realizing where you are like if, yeah. if you normalize the fact that you're you're always kind of strung out or or in a yeah. constant state of anxiety um yeah you're not you're not sure that you, you you're not aware that you need to make any corrective actions and sometimes yeah. we talk about this as musicians as a physical aspect uh, um people often have alexander technique lessons and this idea is you can't tell what your body's doing sometimes without seeing it in a mirror or someone saying to you yeah. are you mm. noticing what you're adjusting when you're physically you can't self-diagnose can you it's, no. it's difficult <laughs> and like what i think is good for me what i think is a comfortable playing position could have detriment long term and, you know, I'm someone neurodivergent on the spectrum, autism spectrum. Um, certainly what I think is a functional way for me to work, actually, I need that person to come in and kind of tap me on the shoulder and say, at some point you'll need to eat, drink, probably sleep and, you know, all right. the rest. Exactly that. Yeah. 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 So it is, it's having, it's having, in, uh, it, you know, like, so the internet is an echo chamber, isn't it? But it's also about having other people in your echo chamber and parts of your echo chamber that can tell you mm. that maybe you're doing a bit too much of something or not enough of something. And with the, <clears throat> certainly with some neuro difference, it can be hard to tell because when a person gets super focused, they are super focused and they're having fun, to be fair. But actually, there's something about thinking, no, I do need to tend this body as well. It needs a break, it needs yeah. food, or it <laughs> needs to step away from the screen. 
I mean, uh, if we were going to begin to summarize some of this for some of our colleagues and yeah. us as well, if we were going to have kind of a mental health uh, emergency medical bag toolkit of some point, some sort, <laughs> uh, what would be maybe three great points just to be safeguarding ourselves? Okay, so I think the top one is to reframe when it is about work, when it's about the band, even though it's about maybe something you love, to keep it in the work zone, yeah. to really control its drift into your personal time, to to be aware of where that activity is happening and try and keep private, private family time and, and self time to a different space to, to your workspace. And to like the same drift is catch how much time it's taking or when you're doing it and and kind of the, 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 to, to, to notice in your body to pay attention. So to take time out to refocus, even just to sit for five minutes and think, is this actually good for me? Can I take a break and reinforce some of those good behaviors that are going out, getting, uh, going for a walk or, or whatever, uh, yeah. you know, that yeah. might be for you and get, but getting away from the screen having good time away from the devices and and sort of giving yourself lots of positive affirmation about that as well. Excellent. Yeah, great advice. <laughs> I was wondering if there's anything that you come across in your sort of frontline work uh, with counselling in terms of trends that you're seeing or or things that people should be aware of. I, th- I think, I mean, obviously, we, we are in a, in a very anxious period. So... Mm helping people understand how anxiety is for them, normalizing that and helping people know that sort of responding to that is the right thing to do. It's not a sign of weakness. Okay. It's not a, it's a sign of strength, actually. Yeah. Yeah. If we can know how we are, we can do something about it. If we can talk about it, obviously, that uh, that helps as well. And that in this kind of hybrid, some in-person stuff, some online stuff, mm. we're evolving our relational uh, radar, if you like, our relational experience. So people are having to find new ways to make meaningful connections. And those are really important things to do is what's a meaningful connection for me and how much of that do I need? So that's the bandwidth as well. Mm. Have I got en- Am I getting enough of people in the right kind of way, too much of people <laughs> or not enough? And to keep re- reviewing that. But this change, this working differently, it, you know, it has significant impact and we should mm. be taking our time to adjust to it and know that it's right to not know what we're doing. It's a new age. Yeah, that, that's a really important distinction to make. And I think the fact that it's it's not an uncommon thing. Um, lots of people are in the same situation of of working from home or you know being tethered to m- multiple devices and, and things like that. So it's okay to um, yeah. to stick your hand up and ask for help. Uh, yeah. If we were going to point people in, in the direction of some different resources, uh, is there anything you'd recommend as a starting point to have a look at? Um, so that there's more and more growing online from a, a digital hygiene uh, point of view. Um, the NHS is also quite good. So if people sort of look at NHS websites, especially about sort of five ways to well-being. Uh, of course, the irony is looking at resources online. <laughs> yes, I guess. That's the problem, isn't it? It's quite <laughs> funny, isn't it? Um, but I suppose that the thing is then to, for people to find something that they can do offline is really the trick. So coming back to 
anything that a person used to do in the past, whether it's hobbies, sport, mm-hmm. um, you know, for when you're creative, I don't know, the things that kind of inspire you, making sure you're going uh, to those things. But the NHS is always a good uh, a place to go or any of the uh, sort of psychological uh, big organisations supporting psychological support uh, 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 are useful as well to have a look at. But people should only go to the things that resonate with them and that make sense. Amazing. Well, yeah, that's great. Thank you. Thank you for, for divulging that, that information. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and really, within the scope of, of what we've got in the podcast, we don't have much more time. And it just leaves us to say thank you so much for giving us your time today. Yeah, thank you, Nicola. Well, really good to speak to you. Now, uh, you've been listening to episode five of the Limited Bandwidth podcast featuring Nicola Neath discussing mental health in relation to digital burnout. And in the next episode, we've invited an audience of music fans along from a wide range of generations to discuss their relationships with social media and music. And episode six will be the final episode in the Limited Bandwidth podcast series. If you've been affected by any of the topics that we've covered in this podcast, you can find support um, through the Help Musicians website at helpmusicians.org.uk forward slash contact. This podcast was hosted, recorded and engineered by Leo and David with music by The Last Inklings. And you can find out more about the podcast as well as our own music at thelastinklings.co.uk.